Well, here we are at the final time of our little study together in uh, the book of Thessalonians. Our little study together, but not our study, because we'll keep doing that from now on. I feel disappointed that I had to miss the morning session here, and yet uh, I realized that if I would have been here, we'd probably still be carrying things in there to be burned. Might have restricted our next session that we have here, because I've got a lot of things that, that need to, to go on the altar. As we have looked at this book together, we are really to the last point in our outline, which has to do with uh, the application. As you all realized the other day, yesterday, we spent time looking at some application We didn't uh, get it done, of course, and it's never done. But in the application of a study, any study that we make, we had six points down on that last point of our outline, Prove All Things. The first one being, I am open to truth. And that's what we want to be, and that needs to be our desire and our prayer as we take God's word and we make application. We also need to realize that we have a need. As I understand it, that was brought to us fairly clearly this morning. Image bearing, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to bear the image of Jesus. So we're asking God to speak to us and make application. In noting applications, I want to make those applications. If we don't want to, it won't make a whole lot of difference. If we do want to, it's our heart's desire and we're intentional about it. It can bless us. And do I believe that this message to me is God-breathed? The very breath of God in his word. That's the call for us this morning. And then last of all, am I willing to surrender and follow Jesus? Them are the questions or the thoughts we need to think about as we look at a book and we come to the final phase of it in a study in saying, what is God saying to me? As we just embark in on this, in conclusion, you remember with me, and most of you may have an outline in front of you, we started by looking at the geography, finding the city on the map, seeing it to be a city in Macedonia, realizing that Paul went there on his third journey, which is recorded 
in Acts 16 through 18. Thessalonica, or Thessalonica was a city over there that Paul had some trouble in. And Acts 17 told us the story, and we looked at that, and we made some bullet points. How Paul reasoned in the synagogue for three days, three Sabbath days. He got a multitude of Greek and women converts. He preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. There was a riot started there. Paul and Silas was the target of their concern. And the Jews were saying that they were acting against the decrees of Caesar. Caesar, And they followed him all the way over to Berea and stirred up trouble there. That's the setting. We have a church that is troubled. We have a church that's challenged by opposition. We have the Apostle Paul having to quickly leave there. And as he headed out from there and went on down to the next town, Athens, we can see that his heart began to long for those people back there. And he began to be concerned. And we find in the first chapter as he read, or as we read there as he wrote, that he had saw some things happen there and he also heard about some things that was going on from there, no doubt, after he left. So as he starts in and he preaches to them or he gives this message to them in a letter, this letter comes to them about the wonderful, unmerited favor that comes to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes right on with some concerns some commendations, some explanations. First of all, he's thankful. He has fond memories, memories of them. I would love to read through the verses, but with the short amount of time we have, we can't even really read through them. I suppose if we had a text verse, as we come clear to the other end of this book, as we took our little outline from Prove All Things, I'd probably just make a text phrase being, Hold fast to that which is good. I believe the apostle, that was his desire that they would hold fast to that which is good. Hang on to the important things. It was very dear to his heart that they would hold on. And it is this morning as these brethren have put this all together and we've worked together at this is that all of us would hold fast. And the Apostle had some things he wanted to give thanks for. As he remembered their work of faith, their deeds of moral conviction, their labor of love, the tiring effort of affection and benevolence, their patience of hope, the cheerful and enduring confident expectation that they had. They were a church that was busy and working. And I believe that's the passion this morning that all of us have as we leave this place. There we're going to be busy and we're going to be working. And we're going to have a level of gratefulness as we look back and as we see what God is doing as a result of this. In the fourth verse here he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. God has divinely selected you. Now think about this. The Apostle Paul went on a journey 
as he went over into Asia just to confirm the churches that he had been to, he got over there and he got over there at Troas and the Spirit of God told him through a dream or some method calling him to Macedonia. And we realize that the Spirit called him to Macedonia. I don't believe that was his intent to go there. But as he went there and he began to see what happened in Macedonia and he realized that God used him as an individual, as part of his very election process, his divine sovereign power to bring more people to the gospel. There was a group of people over there that was, that was needed in the kingdom, that wanted the kingdom. I think about that as I think Brother Joe going to Mexico. Joe, I'm not sure where the end of your trip might be or your life in Mexico. God may call you somewhere else. That's the way God does. We set our plans and then God keeps moving. And you know what? The Apostle Paul says it's okay. It's the election of God. And you young people, as you embark on your life, you have certain things somewhat already in your mind of what you think life ought to be. But this God of ours is a sovereign God, and he has plans for you. And I really believe those plans are going a lot higher than you think. As we avail ourselves to the gospel like these people did, what a testimony. You know, when we think about the election of God, Bible says there in Matthew twenty-two fourteen that many are called, but few are chosen. Remember an old brother, one of Dale's wife's uncles, used to explain that like this. The difference between the called and the chosen is this. It's kind of like in a marriage. You know, a young man comes along and he asks for a lady's hand and he chooses her. But she doesn't become the chosen until she says yes. There is a call for the hand, but she doesn't become the chosen until she says yes. And that's the way it is with our God, and that church of Thessalonica would have not become this true election of God had they not been willing to say yes. Responding to the gospel, they did that. Revelation 17 says, and they that were with him call, are called and chosen and faithful, speaking about a time in the future that was a time, will be a time that those that are with Christ are called and chosen. Not only called and chosen, but faithful. And that's the appeal of the apostle to this church, that they be faithful, that they stay on the journey. Beginning in the five, fifth verse of this First Thessalonians, First chapter, here we have a beautiful picture of the characteristics of a model church. And I don't know what this might mean to you, but I want us to think this morning that this means a whole lot more to us here as we look at this than just simply a church back there 2,000 years ago. This can be our church. 
This can be the church that you go home to. And God can use every one of us in making a difference. Let's look at this model church. Look at some of the things that Paul observed. In the fifth verse, he observed there that the gospel came in an abundance of living power. Sixth verse, they were a living testimony. They were real, moving, and alive. Seventh verse, they were following the pattern of the apostles. There was something happening in that church. In that church, there was a group of people that was not doing like we was here yesterday when we were just wandering around among the tables. A group of people yes, that we saw yesterday that came and they were willing to bind together and call together. And every one of us, no matter where we're at in the body of Christ, can make a difference. I really believe that. We can make a difference. That's what this church was doing. It's the characteristics of a model church. There's some things Paul heard from others. They had a living and lasting testimony that was spread everywhere. Paul didn't even need to share any, anything about them. Their testimony was revealed that they had turned to the Lord from idols. Their living testimony was that they were serving God and waiting for Jesus to raise the dead and deliver them from any future wrath. What a beautiful, beautiful testimony that radiates out through all the world. And that's the way, as the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 3, do we begin to commend ourselves or need we as some other epistle of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written on our, in our hearts and known of all men. For as much are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. That is a beautiful picture. Because he's saying there is a message that comes from people. And it's a message that's not written. It's a message that's lived. And this church at Thessalonica had, a, had a, a living testimony like that. And that's the kind of a testimony Paul was talking to the church at Corinth about that he wanted to see. And this is the kind of a testimony we can have as we consider what God wants to do with us as we leave this place and the way we interact in our local congregation. The model church. The model church. You know, we're really not interested in necessarily being a model church. But we're really interested in our congregation of people collectively exalting the Lord that he is honored and that he is worshipped. And that people don't see us, but they see him. And this church at Thessalonica was dealing with some pretty big challenges. And I have a feeling that some of us, when we go home, will deal with some challenges too. But we're going to realize as we look through this and see the whole big picture that God was doing something in the midst of all of that. And all the trouble that the apostle had when he was there, God was doing something. God was giving a testimony of the gospel to those people in all that trouble that couldn't have came any other way. 
this is how God works. Beginning in the second chapter here, and I'll just have to tell you right now, uh, the more notes I have, the more I dislike to preach. And I've probably never had a sermon with this many notes. <laughs> the best sermons are the ones you need the fewest notes. But I'm wanting to go through this with you. And so you can see and, and learn and, and get point by point and verse by verse and make that application in your life and take it home that it makes a difference with you. Second chapter, we have here now some reminders for the Thessalonians. Reminders. How the gospel was delivered. Remember, Paul says that our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. And how he had been in Philippi and had challenges over there and had come over to their church and had more trouble. In the second verse of this second chapter, he said it's in a setting of past hardship and abuse that we boldly preached in anxiety. That's what he's saying in that verse. We boldly preached when we were anxious. So it wasn't just a real comfortable expression of the gospel because they were, they were a little uptight. They were a little taxed. They were a little stressed is what that means. And in that, what God was doing was something very beautiful. He said, we did everything we could to avoid deceit, uncleanness, guile, and pride. Over there in that fifth verse, for neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. What that cloak of covetousness is saying there is that we never were uh, false-faced. We wasn't there in any way falsely preaching to gain something for ourselves. That's what he's saying. We didn't do this for ourselves. We had an open face in the gospel. And we wanted that to come forth. The gospel was brought forth, he says in the seventh verse there, as a gentle as a nursing mother fosters her children is the way that we brought forth the gospel. Now that's quite a, quite a, a testimony there. As gentle as a nursing mother would take care of her child, we brought the gospel. That's an expression, no doubt, that's revealing something about the heart of the Apostle Paul. The heart of the Apostle Paul was very, very gentle with them. He knew they were troubled. And as we look at the, our lives and where we're at, we realize that we also have a need to be gentle. You know, as God takes you young people home and all of us, we're going to go home and we're going to, having been inspired here and encouraged, we're going to have a desire to make a difference. But my tendency is to not be gentle. To kind of go in and start elbowing and, and, and get the job done. But Paul said, I was gentle. Good lesson for us, all of us, as we go home. Be gentle. Be as gentle as a nursing mother fosters her child. Eighth and ninth verse tell us there about a longing in our souls made a setting for us to share from our hearts. You see, 
it's something Paul says that starts way down in the heart. And way down in the heart will make a difference on how it comes out. Eleventh verse says, as a father would invite, encourage, and witness the truth to his children is the way we brought forth this message. That word charge there is an interesting word. It actually means witness rather than a, a, a charging, as we would think of charge. It was a testimony, a witness. That word is used a lot of times in the Bible, and almost every time it's witness, and most of the other times it's testimony, and this time is the only time I ever saw that it was used charge. So anyway, he said, I was very gentle, and I was as a father would be with his own children in bringing forth something to you that was a blessing and inviting, encouraging, and witnessing the truth. Now he says in this uh, 13th verse through the 16th, he talks about how the gospel was received by them. It, it, they received it as from God and not from men. 14th verse said they keep working in spite of weariness and in, and, uh, in weariness, which means perseverance. They just kept going in spite of weariness. And in spite of Paul's weariness, in spite of everybody's weariness, they just kept moving. 14 through 17, in suffering from those you live among, like the Judean churches do. Said so you have people right in your community that make really life hard for you. You're keeping on. Those Judean churches, those men killed Jesus, the, the prophets, and they persecuted us, and they oppose all men. These men even restricted the apostles from preaching to the Gentiles. You got the same problem, he said, in your church. Sometimes we have the same problems in our churches. But what made the difference? What made the difference for the Apostle Paul? I think one thing that made the big difference, we've already mentioned it, is they had some anxiety in their heart. They realized they needed to trust God because they didn't have it all figured out how it was going to work. They didn't even know they were going there. And here they are, and God wants to do that with us. Next area we want to talk about here, starting at 17th verse, is some concerns for the Thessalonians. So here comes some concerns as Paul illustrates or brings out his plan. We were taken away from you so quickly. Our fellowship wasn't done. We long to see and be with you, he's telling here, beginning in the 17th verse. Paul says it really got over too quick. We're going to feel that way when we leave here tonight. It kind of got over too quick. Paul says we are longing to be together again. So his plans was and his longing to be together again, to come back and be with them. Satan brought some problems in order for that to happen. Not only did Satan bring some problems in that happening, but he said there is one thing that was such a blessing in all that was the very fact that you believers gave us an inward hope and joy of rejoicing. You know, that's just the way it is. I think that's the way it'll be here now. 
as we go to leave and go home, uh, we're going to have some desires probably to accomplish some things. I think the brethren probably will here today. They did yesterday. They'll have all the way through. Some of those things along the way, Satan is hindered. That's just the way Satan works. But there's something that rings through because it's God's work, not ours. It's God's work. And there's something, even in the midst of the challenge that Satan puts upon us, in all those challenges, an inward hope and rejoicing by the delight that we see as people respond to the gospel. And as we see you young people responding to the gospel, what a delight in desiring to get up and sing and worship and exalt the Lord and give testimony to what God is doing in your life. It makes it all worthwhile. Starting in the uh, third chapter, we have here an account that, uh, or on down here in third chapter, Timothy's visit. As we, yeah, as we jump into the third chapter, we have Timothy's visit. So when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. So he says, after we heard your trouble and we could no longer remain silent, We wanted to strengthen and comfort you. Look what they're trying to do. They're trying to strengthen and comfort that church up there at Thessalonica. And in that, says, uh, we all know that we will have trouble. That's a fact. Yea, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, will suffer some level of persecution. But we can't wait any longer to know and encourage your faith. It just become a burning heart desire in the apostle to get back up to Thessalonica to bless them to encourage him I think part of what he was hearing was that maybe they was getting a little bit tired maybe they were getting weary even in the fact that they were a model church life gets hard and he wanted to do everything he could so Timothy went up there and in beginning in the sixth chapter we have his report As he comes back to the Apostle Paul, we're refreshed by a good report. We share the desire to see each other. Your faith gives us joy and strength. Diligent prayer for an opportunity to restore, fit, and prepare their faith. You see, Timothy's report came back as a good report. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. What a testimony. As we see on in the 11th verse, Paul's compassionate pastoral concern coming out here is that we want to support and build your faith. Your love is abounding. We want you to see, we want to see you abound in holiness. Also to strengthen you and to be faultless in holiness. Can't you see his desire there? To this end that you may be established, you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. That's his desire. And that's the desire that we all have as we go home today. That there will be something that makes a difference down the road. 
We come into the fourth chapter. You know, some of this, a lot of this that we've just been in is just kind of a story. But as we come into the fourth chapter, we see where the apostle now begins to kind of turn this thing because he's got a message that he wants to give them. After all this desire, after being there, after hearing, after Timothy's visit, after Timothy's report, we get down here to this, and he says in the fourth chapter, under some practical instructions and exhortations, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and please God, so that ye would abound more and more. He wants to talk to them about Christian living, about what it looks like in the big picture as they go forward. This general conduct, as we have put it down in the first couple verses, we want to see us all excel in pleasing God. One of you put down the scripture about there from John 15, that I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Giving us to understand that the fruit and the life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to excel. Not only do we want to excel in a general sense, knowing and living the commandments of the Lord Jesus, he says in the third verse, I want and this will of God to be revealed, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. We want sanctification, Paul says, and I don't know what all might have been going on up there, but it was imperative to him that there was a level of, of growing into the image of Christ. And that has to do with levels of moral purity. We've talked about that here as we've been together, what moral purity looks like. And we realize that's a challenge in the flesh. It's a challenge in the day we live in. He says, I want you to refrain from pornea, or fornication, as he says. And that word there is the broadest word for immorality that the Bible uses. It includes all kinds. And it's, uh, it includes the heart. It includes all kinds of activities that we wouldn't even want to speak about. But he says, we don't want that. We want to abstain from that. That every one of us would know how to possess his vessel unto sanctification and honor. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, Paul said? You're bought with a price. This body is not our own. It's his for an honor and a glory to his most holy name. He's calling those folks and us to that. He's calling that that we would deal with the longing affections that we have. The Lord will punish taking advantage of others in his time. We are called to holiness. Eighth verse says, He therefore that despised, despiseth not man but God, he that given unto us his spirit. So he's saying, we're not talking, Paul's saying, we're not talking about just our things that we're saying. 
If we don't respond, this is the call of God, he said. And if we despise or, or regard that lightly, it's God's business. He wants to make that clear. So, moral purity, he says, as he begins to, to deal with specifics, that's one of the first ones he dealt with. Starting in the ninth verse, he talks about brotherly love. He's given him practical instructions, remember, on daily living, Christian living, what it looks like, brotherly love. We all know that. If we don't know it, love our brother whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we haven't seen? We know love is the test. We know love is the message to the world. When they could see an open face, when they can see what God is doing in our lives. Brotherly love is certainly being revealed by you, he says. And we need to encourage each other more in this. How do we do that? How would you do that? How do you do that? Well, I don't know if any of you have, any of us have actually just sat down and says, okay, now today we're going to encourage each other more in love. Or do we just do what you've been doing and it encourages one another in love? That's what happens. When we love, it encourages one another in love. That's what the apostle's talking about, encouraging one another in love going forward. This brotherly love relationship goes on into unbelievers beginning in the 11th verse of this fourth chapter. But I would, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep. Get myself here. I got a little mix up here in my outline. Starting in the 13th verse. No, we don't. 11th verse and 12. Study to be quiet. I jumped ahead. That you study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you, be, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. That you may have lack of nothing. I thought that was interesting as we look through that and, and put that down in relationship with unbelievers. See, brotherly love is, is what we experience together. And then this, we're talking about a relationship a little bit farther. First, it's that inner relationship that we have with God, that peace within. But he says here that you might walk honestly toward them that are without. You study to be quiet. You work with your own hands. You do your own business. That, see there, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. So what he's saying there is that as you mind your own business and you work with your own hands and you study to be quiet, that inner peace with God, it affects other people. I had never caught that before, that implication there. Don't be a busybody in their affairs. Use your hands to serve them. Work with your hands. Be of service to other people. 
in one way or another. Beautiful picture there in that uh, section under Christian living. Now we go to the, a little farther to Christ's return. As he talks about the return of Christ, you see they were dealing with challenges there. He says in that 13th verse, I would have you to be not to be, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We, we read this scripture often as a, a real comfort and a consolation, don't we? There's a lot of consolation in this scripture. So we think about our loved ones that's gone on before and what God might be wanting to do with them and do in our lives as we look at that whole thing, giving us hope, giving us comfort, realizing that we have a hope that lessens the sorrow. The work of Jesus is the basis of this hope. He will bring our loved ones along with him when he comes. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And every man that hath this hope in himself, purifieth him, hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It's a hope. It's a blessed hope as we think of what God is doing. What he is doing with those that have gone on before, and even those of us that are yet alive. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain into the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or be ahead of those that sleep. We that are still living. Remember, the living will not precede the death, he says. Jesus himself shall come out of heaven. His voice will be the archangel's voice. There will be the trump of God. I never caught that quite like that before. I'm not sure what all you might think about that. Did you catch that? The Lord himself, 16th verse, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Brother, have any thoughts on that? With the voice of the archangel. So will it be the archangel giving the shout? Or will God, will Christ be giving the shout with the archangel's voice? Really don't make any difference because the angels go at his command. But it was just an interesting perspective as I, I looked at that. Hadn't caught that before. So anyway, those are little intriguing things as we go along here. As we look at this, it's a big picture of what God is wanting to do. And we that are still living have a, uh, a great hope and an opportunity as well as we look into the future. Starting in the fifth chapter, we want to look here as we come to a summary of this book to personal watchfulness. See, as this Lord is going to come quickly like that, he says... There needs to be a personal watchfulness. We need to be ready and looking for him when he appears. The day of the Lord, he talks about here in the first few verses. We all know when Jesus comes in the future that it will happen quick. Unexpectedly, as quick as a thief would come in the night. 
those that think they have things under control will be sudden and it'll be sudden and destructive. Like labor comes on a woman, there will be no way out. Revelation 3.3 says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If If therefore thou shalt not watch, I shall come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. He's talking about a need for personal watchfulness, to be awake, to be looking. And he goes on and says, Be prepared. For like children of the light and the day are awake. His appearing will not be like a thief to them. For children of the night and darkness are asleep and sometimes even drunken. We are called to be awake and watching and sober in the 6th and 7th verses. We're told here to have the wedding garment on. Do you notice that? 8 and 9. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of love, of (coughs) faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. The wedding garment. Faith and love and the hope of salvation. Other places it talks about the wedding garments too. It talks about the wedding garments of righteousness and things that we get from the Lord. And that's what faith and love is. It's things we get from the Lord. And hope is something that comes from the Lord. All this comes from the Lord. And he says we're to have it on. That's what makes us children of the day. That's what makes us children of the light. Because the light is shining within us. Tenth verse. Christ's appointment is for us in uh, in life. Not punishment or death. We need to bless each other and build one another up in this. 13th verse, and to esteem them, or the 12th verse, 11th verse, amen. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do, looking for the coming of the Lord. You know, I really believe we don't look for the coming of the Lord like we ought to. We have things pretty comfortable around here. He says, you keep that view and let's keep encouraging one another in the comfort and blessing of the Lord. Church life. Verse 12. Are we seeing this big picture that Paul is giving as he starts out and he commends them and he's thankful and what he saw and what he heard and step by step he's just going through farther and farther, 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 bringing up important points, just a big picture, Make an application, we can to us. It really fits us. And we get right down here to church life. Starting in verse 12 of the fifth chapter. And he says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and to be over you in the Lord and admonish you. And I hope, I trust, and I think it's all of our desire. We don't do it very good. We get busy. I even think, As I've been here this time, I haven't spent near the time with you young people that I'd like to. And you might think that we don't care. We do care. There's just a lot going on sometimes. And we're people too. But I just want to encourage you 
as this scripture is calling all of us, know them which labor among you. That know means to be aware, to consider, to understand. To be aware, to consider, and understand. You know the, the leaders that's in your church, they're just people. They live real lives. They have disappointments. Work don't go for good for them just like it doesn't for you. They have disappointments with children. They have disappointments in the home. They have marriage struggles. They have everything that you have. And yet they're called to live in a fishbowl. says know them. And I would encourage you when you get home to do whatever you can to know them better. Maybe see if you can spend a day at their house to encourage them, to help them, to help the wife, to learn something about them, to know them. There's a blessing there. To esteem them, it says in the next verse, 14th verse, value the office they are called to. You know, that's a challenge for leaders. Because in our mistakes, I remember a few years back, I don't know how many young people would remember this, but up in the White House, we had some really terrible things going on, morally and all. And I heard one former president's statement that was made, He said a statement like this. He said, the big concern is we're degrading the calling and the office that God has established in all of this. It was a man's wrongdoings. Men are men. Men fail. Ungodly men don't care if they fail. In the church, men still fail. And I think what he's saying here is realize that this is a calling of God and this is a place of God set up here for a purpose. And sometimes extend the grace that you want extended to you. Because God is busy. God is working in their lives. God is doing something. We talk about esteeming. We want to esteem what God is doing here more than the person itself. God has called us to peace, he says. Try not to have conflicts with them. Try not to challenge them just as a challenge, but to be careful and to do like Paul did here with these people, to care about them and to walk with them in the hard things. Now, the 14th verse talks to to us, brethren, as leaders. He says, warn, put them in mind, Caution or reprove gently is what that meant. The unruly, the unarranged, or the insubordinate. He says to comfort, to relate near, or to encourage the feeble-minded. That's those that are are little-spirited. You know, some people they just don't have a whole lot of a low lot of uh, spirit in them. I guess I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm just talking about the natural spirit to just be able to. To, to go forward. You know, we're just all made different. We're told here, brethren, to, to comfort 
the, those that are little-spirited. That's what that feeble-minded means. And to support or care for or hold fast, hold to, support the weak, the more feeble, and those that don't have much strength. I really like that as I looked that up, uh, to support, to care for, or to hold fast or hold to. What that's telling us, brothers, is sometimes we just need to go and put our arms around them. Say, I love you. I care for you. That's what God is wanting us to do. That's what he wants to happen in the body of Christ. He's calling this church to a higher level. He's calling them to something that is very important. Support the weak. Be patient. Be long-spirited, forbearing. Be long-suffering to all men. Don't ridicule in any way. The apostle said, Peter says, Finally, brethren, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, but contrary blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Quite a few of these points and some of these scriptures are the scriptures that you put down because they were meaning something to you. We were doing something there that was, that was important. And God wants us to, to go on into this holy living in a way now as we look at that starting in verse 16 this holy living general instructions and I, I think that's kind of a, a, a short title for these instructions they could go a lot farther than that there could be a lot more said about even that what kind of instructions they are but he says rejoice evermore I would encourage you when you come into little lists like this to get your Bible dictionary out, look these words up. When I make a little outline like this, I don't like to use the same words in my outline that the Bible uses. I like to get different descriptive words. So it broadens my perspective of what this is saying. So as we look at this, rejoice evermore. Be happy and cheerful at all times. Pray without ceasing. Supplicate and worship Avoiding interruptions. Pray without ceasing. Supplicate and worship. Avoiding interruptions. What that tells me is there is some time that we need to be supplicating and worshiping when we are, don't have interruptions. In other words, we need to make a conscious effort Pray without ceasing. As I looked at that this time and I read those definitions, I thought, hmm. Now that is not necessarily talking about the fact that, that I need to be praying all the time, everywhere I go. Although I, I think we need to have that attitude. But it really made more sense to me that, that when I read that, it means to, to develop prayer time that is in, uninterrupted. So it's just another dimension of it. Next time I read it, it might mean kind of more the other way. But that's as I looked at the definitions of the words, I thought, huh, that's an interesting point. Never thought about it like that. Supplicate and worship, avoiding interruptions. 18, in everything give thanks. In whatever comes, be grateful. This is God's desire for us. This is the will of God concerning us, it says. 
everything give thanks. Whatever comes to be grateful. Developing a grateful heart. He said this is important for the model church. This is important if you want to keep having a testimony. To be able to have a, a grateful heart in this way. Quench not. Don't extinguish the air of God. Quench not the spirit. Remember? Don't extinguish the air of God. The, the pneuma. The pneuma. Peace, silent. The pneuma. The pneumatics. The air. The spirit of God. You know, it's kind of like, I just put that note down there. Uh, don't step on God's air hose. God has an air hose. He's got an air coming down. The power of the Spirit. Don't cut it off, he says. Don't quench it. Let it blow. Let it work in our lives. Despise not prophesying. Be careful not to set aside scriptural predictions. You know, we read scriptural or we read predictions sometimes. And they may be out of our box a little bit. And we just, that's the way. That's interesting. And we go on. Maybe we ought to compare them with the word a little bit. Because he says, don't despise them if they're scriptural. Because there's a reality there that might be good for us. I'm not saying swallow them hook, line, and sinker. But I am saying don't set aside the scriptural ones. Prove all things. Discern the big picture. We've been doing that now. Hold fast. Keep in memory. Possess. Retain. Seize on that which is good or valuable or virtuous, honest, well, and worthy. We've had a lot of that here this week. A lot of things to hold fast to that which is good. A lot of good things to hold fast to. Abstain. Abstain from all appearance of evil, he says. Hold your, yourself off. Refrain from all appearance fashion, shape, or sight of, from all appearance of evil. There again, I got another little insight on that. As I thought of that word in the past, of all appearance of evil, I've always just caught a thought of, of um, where you might go and what you might be doing and, and, and all of these things that, that could look like evil, what you get involved in and what you deem as important in your life. And like that, but this time it just kind of hit me. And, and you probably all thought about it this way before, but this is what the Word of God does. It says, uh, abstain from all appearance. And the definition of appearance in the Greek in Strong's was fashion, shape, or sight of. Fashion, fashion. Avoid fashion. Something that's fashionable that it may have any level of an appearance of evil. And that, that just hits every area of our life. There's a lot of things culturally in this world that, cert, remember, certain things grow out of a culture that we're really not interested growing with us. And then we come to that fifth, uh, the 23rd verse, this divine enablement. Our God of quietness and rest wants to completely purify and consecrate us holy. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, 
and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Everything. Spirit, the complete inner part that communicates with God and that has communion with the Father. And even maybe where that conscience is in there in the spirit, the soul, the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, if that's what it is, that interface between the spirit where God dwells and speaks and the body, that vulnerable area that is getting indicators from the spirit coming out from the inner man and giving pressures from the body coming in. And it all ends up and we have emotions and we have a mind and we have all these things going on. He said, I want it all preserved blameless. I want it all to be where God would want it to be. Unmarred, faultless, until Jesus comes. And the 24th verse says, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. What a consolation. Last personal appeal here. And it's pretty short, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty powerful. Brethren, pray for us. The apostle says pray for us. Pray for those that serve in the ministry. The 26th verse says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I'll share a concern. And I think... Probably as I view the, the landscape, that the young sisters have the greatest challenge with this. The apostle says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's part of the model church. It's part of the calling of God. God is calling us to greet one another with a holy kiss. He's calling us to go to do. He's calling us to be involved. And I know how it is. I saw it. And you all know it too, don't you? The holy kiss is something that's, that we need to be careful. Because the Bible is calling us to that. He's calling you young sisters to use the holy kiss. He's calling us, brethren, to use the holy kiss. He's calling all of us to use the holy kiss. Because it's a testimony of the love Remember, it's a holy kiss, the sacred and pure kiss. Read the scriptures to each other, verse 27. Be read to all the holy brethren, and may the gracious divine influence of God be yours. Let it be so. Amen. Let it be so. May God bless us. And I trust and I hope, as we've looked at this little study together, and you go home that you'll find blessing as you look back in this, not only in this book of 1 Thessalonians, but also in the method and all that, it, that we can use to study that might be an enhancement in some other area in our lives. May God bless you. This has been a joy, and, uh, and we just trust that God will be honored through it.